0: Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com.
1: A couple of years ago, if you were a part of this church family, you guys voted on a budget. I know, that's the most exciting thing that's ever occurred in the life of a church, right? But let me tell you why One of the reasons why it was exciting. You decided to set aside $1,000 each year for what we used to call winter sanctuary. Because of COVID, we were not able this year to open up the Connection Center and invite people experiencing homelessness to come have a warm, safe place to sleep overnight for a week, being one of many churches that do so in January, February. We weren't allowed to bus anybody, weren't allowed to house anybody. It was radically changed. Some of you guys know because you were there and serving. We had a warming center. So for about four hours each day, we had a place where somebody could get a hot meal, a to-go lunch, an option for a shower, be connected to city resources, etc. cetera. And um, so I've said for a long time that money is uh, just a tool, right? It's amoral. You can use a hammer to hurt somebody or you could use it to build a house for somebody who doesn't have one, right? Money is just a tool. And uh, if you're a regular giver, you put tools in the hands of some of our saints this last week to serve and uh, bless folks who needed a blessing. And I just wanna say thank you for giving. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, can we put up on the screen the different giving methods? Do we have that? So um, give, give generously, and I haven't said it in at least a month, so I wanna say it again. Stealthily steal the wallet of your neighbor and give like you always wanted to give. So um, it helps the numbers go up somehow when you swipe somebody else's credit card. So um, yeah, so please do that. And I'm not going to uh, ruin your blessing by having you stand, but would everybody, would you just join me in thanking, give a round of applause to everyone who served tons of hours this week in that ministry? So, Hey. It's critical we remind ourselves that uh, our Father does see what we do in secret and He will reward. Jesus' own words. Okay? That's cool. It's beautiful. It's a good example to the body of believers when we serve. So, amen and amen. All right. How about we do some Bible time? Mm, Nobody's excited for the Bible. Oh, man. This sermon's going to be lousy because Greg's up here all by himself, and he's the only one excited, so he has to say the sentence and the amen. He has to amen himself through this whole thing. This is going to be tough. All right, if you need a Bible, throw a hand up, and we're going to pass out Bibles right now so that everybody has one. If you already have a Bible and know your way around, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, if you've got a hardback that we just handed out, turn to page 802. 802, we're going to be in Matthew 5. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say a tremendous thank you to Pastor Dennis, because if you're going to preach a detour on a family road trip, that was a killer detour. I told Pastor Dennis that I, from home, audibly jumped and shouted, when he said something to the, something to the degree of uh, if we do not keep our focus on the commands of God and his destiny for us, we're going to end up at Magic Mountain instead of the Magic Kingdom. Because I just knew it. There was something inside me. I was like, say it, Dennis, say it. And he did. We were on a wavelength. It was great. Anyway, thank you so much for bringing the word to us last week, Dennis. While I was quarantining, you know how it is in COVID, You have some sniffles and you have to quarantine because God knows what you have. So I meant that literally. He's the only one who knows. So this series, we're talking about a desired alternative future. I've used Disneyland as an image. It doesn't have to be Disneyland. Don't get hung up on the illustration. The point is a desired alternative future. And a church family, I I hope we can't say this enough. If God was done with us, we'd be dead. Amen? Right? Right? So the whole idea of an us for no more, more church, we are comfortable, we like our religion the way it is, we want our songs a certain way, we want our sermons a certain way, we don't need to launch new ministries that are dangerous toward people that we don't know and have not met. We don't need to start churches on different continents. That comfort is a grasping at the American dream where I take my environment and suit it to what I like has nothing to do with the kingdom of God whatsoever. It's the antithesis of the kingdom of God, right? Oh man, I didn't give any amens on that. Right, because it hurts. Sometimes we don't want to say amen, we just say, ouch. There's the American dream, which is God's nightmare. Amen. (laughs) Or the commands of our gracious king. And they are opposite, okay? So, It's not going to be easy, but we have to go somewhere as a church family. Until when God says to us, love one another, until we are perfect at loving one another, we have work to do, right? If he says, live at peace with one another, until we are perfect at that, we've got work to do. And any other command of scripture. So to not change, and this is what I'm trying to establish with this series, to not change as a family or as an individual. To embrace an ideology of I'm okay the way I am is a non-repentant, arrogant, God is wrong position. Whereas our brother David loses his mind and exalts and writes poetry to music saying, I love every command that comes off the lips, the lips of my God. I happen, it's the last thing on my mind when I go to bed. His statutes, his commands, everything, him bossing me around like who does he think he is, his commands are a blessing for me. They give me life. And that is a worldview we're supposed to be chasing after. Because a loving authority gives commands for the purpose of blessing. And the parents said, amen and amen. Family road trip is the title of the series, and we're talking, taking steps through the five vision statements that we adopted a year and a half ago. Today, part three, a launch pad for church planting. We see God leading us to become a family that would be a launch pad for the planting of new churches. All right, read with me the words of Jesus. I'll turn there as well in Matthew 5, Malachi Okay. Oh, come on, guys. That was funny. All right. Matthew 5. So we're going to read verses 14. No, we're going to start at 13. You might have a section heading that says teaching about salt and light. We're going to read 13 through 16. The words of Jesus toward the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Talking to the disciples You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Jesus, you're not doing a very good job making me feel good about myself. You are the light of the world. Okay, that's better. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, teach us the scriptures today, please. In the strong, gracious name of Jesus Christ, we pray pray, and the church said, Amen. Note takers, grab your pens. Here we go. We're going to start with a big theological bomb. We'll get to the heart later. We'll get to the hands later, but we're going to start with a big theological bomb uh, that's going to go straight at our head, okay? Because it's so repeated in Scripture that it's ridiculous, our ability to ignore it, okay? God will be worshiped by a church saved from every people group on earth, I didn't say he wants to be, although that's true. When you're a sovereign creator of the cosmos and there is no equal, we just saying that, right? There is none beside you. Who am I? Whoever he says I am, that's what I am, right? This is sovereignty. If God wants something, he gets it. We don't like thinking about that because we don't like thinking, those of us who love Jesus, we don't like thinking about people in hell. We don't like thinking about his sovereignty, that in his sovereignty he gives free will to human beings. He lets us rebel and choose a disastrous future if we want to. We don't like him using his sovereignty that way. We like better this idea that there's this cosmic battle going on between good and evil and it's kind of a 50-50 fight and sometimes God wins some and people go to heaven and sometimes God loses and they go to hell. We like that. It makes for a really good movie about Armageddon, right? If it's a fair fight. But when you read in the book of Revelation, Armageddon's not a fair fight. It's lopsided. It would make a terrible movie. So I did not say he wants to be worshipped by a redeemed people taken out of every single people group on earth. I didn't say that he wants it, although it's true. I said he will. Because the scriptures say he will. It is going to happen. We can get on board or we can do this. La, 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 la. Those are our options. Allow me to prove the point because you're looking at me like you don't believe me. May God be merciful and bless us. Does that sound like prosperity preaching yet? Just wait to see where it's going. May his face smile with favor on us. Selah. All right, now let's see where the psalmist is going. What does it look like for God to bless his people? I'm glad you asked. May your ways be known throughout the earth. Your saving power among people in most countries. No? Well, there are some of them I'm a little bit afraid of. Some, pe- some places, they don't want to hear about Jesus, and I'm kind of nervous. Well, no, it says everywhere, doesn't it? Does God know how to get the fear of his great name into any heart, anywhere, no matter what human opposition is? Again, Saul of Tarsus tells us everything we need to know. A really religious guy killing Christians gets saved. Oh, okay, that just means every Christian's excuses just evaporated. May the nations praise you. Don't think of a modern nation state. This is ethnos. Every people group on earth praise you, oh God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let most of the world sing for joy. The ones where they're tolerant of different religions and we can preach without fear of physical harm. Was that a good interpretation? Was Greg's standard version of this psalm, is it going well? Okay. Let the whole world sing for joy. Why? Because you govern the nations with justice. Oh, is that a precious line or what? We keep griping and moaning, waiting for somebody to govern the nations with justice who's not named Yahweh. Can't imagine why we're frustrated. And you guide the people of the whole world, Selah. May the nations praise you, oh God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Then, back to his earlier comment about blessing, then the earth will yield its harvest and God, our God, will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us and people all over the world will fear him. Brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus, the blessing of the people of God is one and the same as the expansion of the people of God. More and more people know him, more and more love him, more and more fear him. How? By his merciful and powerful Holy Spirit, he gives us a heart that's able to receive the gospel instead of reject it. And he does it in every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Some of you look like you still don't believe me. So, I'm going to click this button again. Nope, I'm not going to click this button again. Did it die? What pages? Yeah, there we go. In your hardback, if you've got the hardback, go to page four ninety nine. Everybody else, turn to Psalm ninety six. This one's a little longer. Gotta show you, I'm not making this up. The ninety sixth Psalm. sing a new song to the lord let the whole earth sing to the lord sing to the lord praise his name each day proclaim the good news that he saves oh is that was that that ooh that was intense cuz i thought that we were supposed to let the preacher proclaim his good name once a week on a sunday morning each day and that sounds like it's a command for everybody i don't know this is a little bit extreme publish his glorious deeds among The places where you're comfortable. No? Among the nations. Tell most people about the amazing things that God does. Was that right? No? Gosh darn it, you guys are a tough crowd. Tell everyone about the amazing things that he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols. But the Lord made the heavens honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord, for he is coming. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. Did you hear at least twice there? He said... The, the same nations that he's saying, hey, nations, honor and fear and worship the Lord, at least twice he said, because this is the God who's gonna judge you. Ooh. Now, we don't like hearing that, but if God is actually the only one who sees reality correctly, he's the only one who can give justice. He's the only one who is worthy, right, to open the scroll. Those of you who have background in church, Well, speaking of scrolls, this is a vision that the Apostle John has. Jesus shows up to him and tells him some things. A vision of heaven. And they sing a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. Now, the new song. Who are they singing to? Who's the you? If you haven't been to church in a while or if you've never been before and the pastor asks a question, And you really feel compelled to shout out something, just say, Jesus, "Jesus," there's a good shot you're going to be correct. Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered. And your blood has ransomed people for God. Brothers and sisters, this is missions, it's not a cute program. It's not just quarters in a bucket with the four-year-olds and five-year-olds, although that's precious and powerful. You are worthy to judge the earth because you were slaughtered and you weren't just some victim that that blood didn't mean anything. That blood has purchased back, that's what ransomed means, people for God from most tribes, most languages, and most peoples. Did I read it right? No? No? Man, I told you guys, I really struggle. Reading's not my strong suit. Jesus died for most of the people of the world. Yes or no? Thank you. I needed a nice, strong, Mm, that was good. So let let me ask it this way. Is there a man, woman, or child on earth right now that Jesus does not love? Is there a man, woman, or child on earth right now Who Jesus does not want the gospel presented to in a compelling and loving way. Just want to be clear. And you have caused them, all the nations, this people from all the nations, I should say, to become a kingdom of priests. Oh, a kingdom! Sounds like a different country. Again, we struggle because we're in a democracy. When they are washed by the blood of the Lamb, they become a part of a separate kingdom, right? Of priests for our God. What do priests do? They help others know how to rightly relate through the sacrificial system to be right with God. What's the sacrificial system now? Say the cross of Christ. Okay, just low-hanging fruit here. So if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, you immediately become a priest who calls other people, hey, let me show you how the cross works. I've experienced it. Evangelism is not a department. Missions is not some department where they over there do missions. They over there do evangelism. I'm going to sit here where I'm comfy. And they will reign on the earth. All right, somebody who has not uh, lived most of their life or seven or eight years on the African continent, please tell me, trivia time, what country is this? Man, the fishbowl is awful, isn't it? The fishbowl is awful. I didn't realize, I have to confess, I, I thought myself halfway world educated until I started watching a news channel a year ago from Australia, and I go, they talk about America so much. Ugh. Maybe this is just from the strong economy and strong military, but like, there's America and there's everywhere else, and we don't see outside of it. Heaven help us. Heaven help us. This is Ghana. It's about the size of Georgia, if you're looking for a comparison, geographically speaking. Much higher population. Shocker. They don't have the suburbs the same way. And uh, this is what an average bustling street in Accra, the capital, looks like. Um, This is a more recent picture. This was just taken a year ago. So you see, like, there are cars. It's just not the predominant way of getting around, right? Lots of buying and selling right there in the street. There are telecom companies. You can get a cell phone. You can get Wi-Fi. But different. I can tell you, at least when I was there, Accra is one of only two cities uh, of what we would call a city where you could predictably find flush toilets where there was electricity um electricity when i was there was almost exclusively 4 p.m to 10 p.m the other 18 hours you just had to manage the clock um the idea was to be productive in the evening if you needed to come home and watch you know they had news stations watch tv watch the news whatever but during the day mo- most of life functioned without electricity um, don't know where they're at now. This debonair young 13, 12-year-old is standing on the stage in front of you right now. Um, went and hung out with uh, 120 teenagers that out of Kumasi, their second largest city, based out of Kumasi, we spent a month doing a dramatic play where there was a um, a good... Captain and there was an evil pirate who took over and, and got the members of the crew to rebel against the captain and to kill the captain and take over the ship where have I heard this before and the um, all of these different roles the different characters I was cowboy as you can see um, all these different roles and different characters have their own little journey inside the play of why they accept or why they Um, you know, they wanted to be loyal to the king, they didn't, whatever. And, um, of course, there's no hope. This good captain has been murdered. Uh, And just when there's height of the slavery, this pirate abuses the subjects that he promised freedom to, when there is no hope left, uh, the captain is resurrected from the dead. And... um, It's hard to share this story with you without seeing entire villages of people who would jump three feet in the air when we got to that part of the story. Because in a narrative culture, things are embraced as if they're true. Uh, we don't do that here. Everything here, all narrative is fiction, it's all television, it's all miniseries. Um, and through translators, we had the privilege, Monday through Friday, of driving into villages, some of which were a 10-hour drive away from Kumar I can't even describe We were basically almost on the border of Togo into little villages that are everything you feel like you've ever seen in National Geographic. Four or five large huts, and those four or five structures house about 70 or 80 people. You were born here and you will live your life here as a farmer, and you will die here. And the oldest man is the chief, right? And my American individualistic thinking did not know what to do when our translators clarified and presented the gospel over these little portable microphone loudspeaker that we brought. I didn't know what to do when easily two-thirds of the time that we presented the gospel to the village 110 faces all look off to the side toward one person. I'm going, what is going on right now? And the oldest man in the village is over there sitting on a special wood-carved chair. He's the only one who's sitting. They all look to him. And he puts up his hand to give permission, and 110 people then come forward and pray a prayer to say, I am a follower of Christ now. Where in America, who do we look to to give us permission to make a personal religious decision? Some of us turn in and we look over to our success path, our career. Some of us turn over and look to the approval of my brother and my dad and mom, whether they'll be okay with this. Some of us in turn and look over to comfort, is this gonna be easy? Does this fit within my lifestyle? Some of us will turn and look over and go, does this make the most sense financially? Everybody turns and looks to the chief of their life before deciding to follow Jesus. Everybody. And sometimes you look and you go, that chief didn't die for me. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, (laughs) I am going. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Real cute song, but do we do it? Brothers and sisters, we are idolaters, every one of us. Every tribe and every tongue and every nation with our excuses the love of God is offered to us, and we've got our excuses. And if you are a brother or sister, the Holy Spirit and probably some loving saints helped you past your excuses. And now a passion for his glorious name needs to burn in our bosom so that we'll help others pass theirs. I want you to chat with each other for a moment what are some bad reasons to engage in missions? You can be as satirical as you want. You can be sassy, you can be snarky, you can be boring and realistic. I'm going to give you about 90 seconds. Talk with each other. Bad reasons to engage in missions. All right, coolest answers from your group. Shout them out. Huh? Financial gain to get married from snarky Pastor Dennis. Yeah, financial gain. Yeah, the prosperity gospel in a lot of sub-Saharan Africa right now. You can go in there and make yourself rich, telling everybody to give money. Yeah. Brownie points with God, so he'll love me more. I'm more likely to get to go to heaven. Escapism. Ooh. So what, how other people will see me? Yeah, how other people will see me. Right? Pull a muscle, patting yourself on the back. I went on a mission trip. Exciting adventure. Savior complex. Woo. Huh? Pity. Team building? building. (laughs) Oh man. So gotta love you to see a faraway land. It's not fun it's fun to not shower. Tell people you've been somewhere, bring back cool souvenirs, you know, those kind of things. All bad reasons. (laughs) What's the good reason? Because God will be worshipped by a church saved from every group on earth. I don't know. You know, somebody's typing things into the PowerPoint. I'm not sure that last one. Yeah, let's go over number six one more time. (laughs) An example? Uh, I'll have to rack my brain to think about that one. So we know the real answer, right? Do we know the real answer? Does Pastor Greg have to put it in in all caps next time? He will be worshiped by a redeemed people, and he does not say how many. He uses the word remnant over and over again. Some from every people group on earth throughout all history until he returns. He will be worshipped. You note takers who've been waiting so long for the second point, I promise that it's going to be faster from here on out because we needed to build that foundation. Do you understand? If we don't believe this, we'll go nowhere with missions and evangelism and planting churches. So this is why I parked on it for a minute. Second, every people group on earth needs to see the gospel lived out in a healthy Christian community. Now this one's really tough for some groups of Christians because we've been given a very transactional view of how somebody becomes a Christian. I'll tell you what I was raised with, and if you were raised in the church, maybe you experienced something like it, maybe you didn't. Since the gospel is a message, and it is, of God taking on flesh to die in the place of rebellious sinners and freely offering his holiness as a free gift and taking our guilt onto himself, nailing it to that cross forever. That message, verbally shared with somebody, is the tool of the Holy Spirit to change the heart. That's what creates a Christian. Did you know that? Okay. So I'm taught that as I'm growing up, and I'm taught that rightly. The gospel is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. So as an individual, I can hop on an airplane, go somewhere else where nobody's a Christian, and I can verbally tell them, The good news of who Jesus is that he died to forgive their sins and that they are accountable to personally respond to this offer from God. What are you going to do with the grace of God? And you know what? All of that is true. All of it. But what if I told you that back in Matthew chapter 5 that we read earlier, You can go back to Matthew chapter five, by the way, in your own Bibles. We're gonna spend the rest of our time there. Um, What if I told you that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, what if I told you that those yous were plural? What now? So let let me break that down. An individual Christian is not the light of the world. Jesus never said so he did say that his followers, the church, the disciples of Christ, we are the light of the world. That one's tough. That one's tough. Now, I know where some of your heads are going right now, so I want to nip something in the bud. This does not negate if you did individual, personally sharing of the gospel to somebody uh, who was not in a context where they could connect to a healthy, you know, replicating Christian church, that does not mean your work was of no value. If you throw seed, you throw seed. Praise God, okay? But over and over again, really, from Genesis 12, 1, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Your descendants are going to be more than you could count the sands of the seashore. And what? What? To be a blessing to all the nations. Not, hey, your descendants are going to be like a single kernel of sand. No, he wasn't giving him one descendant. He was making him a nation. And the nation will bless. And Levitical law, that part of the Bible in your annual reading plan, you get to Leviticus and you're like, oh, the Lord will forgive me if I skip this, right? Le- the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, was teaching a people how to be holy and separate from the world around them, not to protect them from sin alone, although that's part of it, but to show the goodness of Yahweh to those peoples. Christians are different for the benefit of those who are not Christians. Well, it's for the benefit of God. It's for his glory. Of course it's for his glory. And what has God shown over and over in 66 books that he wants for his glory more than anything else, except to seek and save the lost? Yes, I do the right thing because God deserves it. Absolutely. Yes, I do the right thing because it blesses and benefits me. But I do the right thing so Citrus Heights sees it and gives glory to their Father in heaven. Right here, Matthew 5. A group of 500 people Who are culturally Muslim because they've been told for 700 years that they are Muslim, even though there's not even a mosque on their island, they would have to get on a boat and go to visit another one on Fridays at noon. That group, who has only ever heard through media that all Americans are Christians, all Westerners are Christians, they don't want you. Do you understand that? They don't want me to come. Do they need to know their Creator? Could they benefit if one person showed up on the island and told them of the mercy of God? Could they benefit? Of course. Actually, if you don't show up, the rocks could cry out. Back to Saul of Tarsus. Jesus can show up anytime he wants, however he wants. It's just that he's invited us into the blessing of proclaiming his message. We're ambassadors, brothers and sisters. But would an island with a few hundred people who all, culturally are Muslims, because they've been told that they are Muslims. Would that church benefit more? Would that island benefit more if a group of Christians planted themselves there and lived life in community with each other and shared the gospel, incorporated people into the family who have been saved by Jesus Christ that their lives, their marriages, their parenting or grandparenting, the way they do commerce, the way they submit to authority, all of it is on display for the hundreds of people on that island. Is that better? I said at the beginning of the series, it's critical that when we, when we embrace that we're a church, that uh, Jesus isn't done with us because we're still alive, we are not poo-pooing the past to hunger for more. Okay? It's a great thing if one person goes to that island and tells them about Jesus. It's great. But we need to look at the way Scripture talks about the people of God shining light and go, you know what would be even better? You know what would be even better than that? What if we planted a church on that island that faithfully taught the gospel for generation after generation after generation instead of just the light? You know, we hold up as heroes people who go and they went off in the 19th century to some faraway land and their, back, their belongings were packed in a casket because they were making the statement, I'm not coming back. And we hold them as heroes and they are, but not one of them wanted their ministry to die as soon as they did. How's the gospel gonna keep going out See, here's the deal. It's something we've never thought about. and why He's not talking about church planting very much, and church planting's in the title of this sermon. What on earth is going on? He's talking about missions and evangelism. Brothers and sisters, when you lead one person to Christ, you're an evangelist. When you lead a second person to Christ, you're a church planter. There's now a community, and you need to organize it. You have to. Why? Because, you know, the Bible... Titus, I sent you down to that island because we've planted the gospel there and there are believers there. Now go behind. There are some spiritually mature men who can be shepherds over those communities. Go appoint elders. That's in the book! It is the most natural thing in the whole world that when you sow the gospel, eventually you have to organize them into communities to continue to preach the gospel and train what? The Great Commission isn't to go make converts. We make disciples teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. So planting of communities makes a lot more sense than just, hey, I'm gonna go all the way to this island to lead one person to Christ, and after that person prays a prayer, I'm gonna get back on the plane and leave, said, no missionary ever. Anybody ever said that? I wanna go to tremendous... Discomfort. learn a new language, learn a new culture to lead one person to Christ and as soon as they do, I'm going to go, oh, that's awesome, here's a Bible, I'm out. No. All of this, brothers and sisters, is church planting let alone the question of if 50 of them love and receive, if they receive Jesus and love him and are studying the word and have access to the scriptures in their own language and I've been with them for a few years, is it now reasonable that I could leave and go somewhere else to do it again because they can proclaim and contextualize the gospel to their own culture probably better than I can? Is it reasonable to take off at some point? Is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's take a look. I lied to you. I said we were gonna be just parked in Matthew 5 and I forgot how important it is to look at Paul's ministry method. Romans 15. If you're in the hardback, it's 947. This is critical so we understand that church planting and missions are in some ways the same thing. Romans 15. Romans 15. Just so you don't think Greg's making this up. Oh, jeez. Gonna be quick because we only got fifteen minutes. Starting at verse 14, Romans 15, 14. And for context's sake, I want to remind you if you're familiar with the Bible, if you're not familiar, I just want to tell you. Paul has written this letter to a church, a group of Christians that he has not yet met. He has never been to Rome. Other people brought the gospel there. Cool historical note, nobody knows actually who planted the church in Rome. That means that people who for work had to travel, traders that were on boats, this, that, and the other, they brought the gospel with them. It should be noted throughout the book of Acts that when we see churches planted, very rarely do we see the total of 13 apostles directly involved planting those churches. Churches exist because Christians took the gospel with them wherever they went. Where have I heard that before? As you go, make disciples of all nations. I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Verse 14, Paul talking to this church that he's never met, but he's going to ask them for a financial gift on his way to Spain. I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well you can teach others all about them. Even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder By God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. Gentiles, just non-ethnically Jew. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them did you hear two things there by my message and the way i worked among them two things interesting it's like it's like it's like paul has read james even before it's been written yes faith but also works your actions back up that you are a follower they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of god's spirit in this way i have fully presented the good news of christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. This is almost to northern Italy. I should have put up a map. Here's what I need you to know. In a world where you travel on foot and on boat during good weather, this is a long, long way. This is a long way. I have faithfully presented the good news of Jesus Christ in this long, long, huge geography. This is almost half the Roman Empire almost, by, by population. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. That's referring to Rome, the, the people Christians he's talking to. I have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because... I've been preaching in these places. But now I have finished my work in these regions and after all these long years of... What? I have finished my work in these regions. Did everybody from in Jerusalem, Syria, all throughout what we would call today Turkey, into Greece, and then up into Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina... They all, they all love Jesus now? He said he was done. Can somebody help me in my confusion? Paul said he's done. They have to all be saved, right? They're, they're all Christians. How is he done? He already answered the question, by the way. Why is he done? It's my compulsion to go preach where the name's never been preached. He's not saying this for every Christian. He didn't tell everybody at Philippi, didn't start a church in Philippi, and say, all of you have to go with me to Spain. Didn't say that at all, not even remotely. So what's going on with Paul? Paul, apparently, I love love that you see in the book of Acts We went here and preached. We went here and preached. We went here and preached. We tried to go here, but the Holy Spirit stopped us, and so we went somewhere else. Paul does not pray about what color of socks to put on in the morning. He's gonna preach the gospel until God himself stops him. Paul believes that his own convictions, his own experiences, and his own passions were designed and ordained by God. So since he's the kind of guy who goes where no one's ever heard of this guy, Jesus, since he's compelled to, to, to be that kind of a preacher, he does it. I am planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome, and after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. It's okay to sow the gospel until there's a church there that can preach the gospel to the surrounding culture. That's okay, it's totally okay, it's completely allowed. Third, Christians are commanded to make their lives visible to the whole world. Right? You're a city on a hill. Church, you're a city on a hill. You don't light a lamp and then stick it under a basket. You put it on a lampstand so the whole house can receive the blessing from it. Christians are commanded to make their lives visible to the whole world. Incredible command for how we are to live our life engaged with people all over our city and and Roseville, and Rancho, and everywhere else we find ourselves. If you're a Christian, your light is a part of a communal light that is to be set up on a lamppost that everyone can receive the blessing from it. And how do you know that that's an evangelistic image? He says, so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. He he says it. He says it. So what does that mean? ARCF, if there's a people group anywhere on earth without a Christian church, that means we still have work to do. Do you guys believe me? Is that superlative? We're not done. We're not done. I wanna show you the homepage of a website. JoshuaProject.net has spent years working really hard to carefully document every people group on earth. And measure how many Christian churches does that people group have in their midst they actively have access to. And you guys can't see probably the number, but the second number on the top left. Unreached people groups, 7,414. It's not 7,400 people, 7,400 people groups. And they are not measuring just, oh, do they have the Bible translated into their language? That's important. But again, for geographic reasons, for cultural reasons, for religious reasons, there are groups all over planet Earth that do not have access to a Christian church shining this light. I just want you to be aware of it because I would love it if every saint in ARCF would visit this site a couple of times a week and pray and pray, and pray, and pray until the Lord speaks. If you go to this website, right there on the front, you can embed a widget, you can download the app and get a daily prayer reminder. Every day they will show you a face of a human being from that people group. And the only thing constant about the person's picture they sent you is that person has no life-on-life access to the gospel at all. Zero. Half the earth, a little more than half the earth, can hop in a car or walk down the street and visit a Christian church if they wanted to. That's a little over half. So that is a lot of people who if they wanted to visit a church could not do it because it doesn't exist. Let me go on to our next line there. When it comes to planting churches, ARCF, we've only got three options. Go, send, disobey. Those are the three options. That's it. So we have to ask ourselves, what will God allow ARCF to accomplish for his glory? What might we get to be a part of? And when it comes to vision, I've always been told that you scare people with the biggest possible vision first and then back it off as their blood pressure comes down a little bit. So let's start with something big, hairy, audacious. What would it look like for ARCF to train out of our midst, send our own, to send Joshua Beer because we believe when he's 34 years old, God is going to send him and he wants to translate the Bible into a language for a people group where there are only 900 people on earth that speak that language. What are we gonna behave like 20 years before that, right? 25 years before that, to send out from ourselves a self-sustaining team of 20. And here's what I mean. The pastor and his wife and... Nine other families, maybe some single people, about 20 people, and everyone knows how to earn an income when they arrive. They find a way. This is actually how church planting has worked for 20 centuries. It's not always just supported. There are lots of ways to skin this rabbit. Send them to start a church amongst an unreached people group group identified by Joshua Project. Is that big enough? Does it scare you? How big would ARCF need to be numerically for us to have 20 that were trained and ready to go and us to be able financially to help? Could we do it right now? Say no. Could we probably even do it two years from now? Say no. Now, with God, all things are possible, but probably not. So now that I've scared you with a huge vision, let's back it off a smidge. What about ARCF training and sending out a self-sustaining team of 20 to start a new church in Fresno because there are more churches needed there? Are you allowed to start a new church in a place where there are already churches? Is that allowed? Oh yeah, it's allowed. We are not the judges, but we can all look and go, ah, they don't look like they care about their community. the, The Great Commission was long since lost. They just, they don't care anymore. Or maybe there are tons of churches around that care, but 80% of the population is still unreached. Yeah, you can absolutely plant a church. Is that a less scary vision than the first one? Do, you have to, do these 20 have to learn a language? Do they have to learn a radically different culture than their own? Right? So this is easier, fundamentally easier than the first one. Small vision, ARCF sends 10 grand and 40 of its people down to the far away boondocks, terrifying, mean streets of Arden Arcade to join a church planter in, our, in the Church of God NorCal district to start a new church. What if our district pastor comes to us and says, I've got a church planter, very godly person, and he's got a heart for Arden Arcade. ARCF, what can you do to help? what if we were in a position for the elders to put out to the church and say, we want you, every one of you to pray about leaving? Because I'm gonna tell you as the only one, no, Melissa, to, to have our incomes and our livelihood based on you guys being here and being faithful with your giving, there's no one who's supposed to be more terrified than the staff, right? What do we have to do in our hearts, in our finances, growing numerically, what do we have to do to be in a spot where we would be thrilled to send 40 people away? Oh, he just, Jesus juked me. Yeah, trust God. He just smacked Greg in the face. None of us can look at that and deny that if it happens, God's in it. So what, what have we got to do to get there? Let me ask you a really important question. Is it possible that that happens inside the next 10 years? So you said yes, and that's scarier now, isn't it? If we're honest, that could happen inside the next 10 years. What are we gonna have to do to get there? Or here's a really tiny, bite-sized vision. We meet a church planter that we trust and we give 500 bucks. Could we do that right now today? Say yes. Okay. Okay. I'm going to invite our band up. We're going to spend a few minutes responding to God. I don't know if I've done a good job breaking this down for roles. I'm sure I haven't. About how you can contemplate your own role in what does it look like to go, what does it look like to send we already know what it looks like to disobey if we've been disengaged for missions, right? So we're gonna spend some time responding to God's clear passion for the nations, for the ethnos. And we're gonna ask God as individuals and as a family, God, what do you have for us? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. For Samuel, Right? We're gonna do a few minutes of speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then I'm gonna come back up to share a couple of quick announcements with the church family and we'll go.
0: peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like seed billows. My
1: of things real quick. You could have a seat. I'll be as brief as I can so I don't bore you guys. On Sunday night, March 7, we are going to get together as a family to celebrate 115 years of gospel ministry. Right? Hallelujah. A lot of churches don't get to make it to their 30 or 40th birthday, let alone your second century. And as a part of that celebration, one of our elders, Renaud, just in case, we always oh, I was going to have him in case you're new and don't know Renault, that's Renault. Um, but, uh, those of you who've been, uh, connected and a part of this family for a long time, if you have old photos, church gatherings, Bible studies, your child's baptism 40 years ago, any old photos that you're willing to share with Renault, please do that because he's going to do a little bit of a historical presentation that night on March 7th. And that's going to be really cool. So, um, Please shoot those photos to him if, you're, if you have them, and if, you excuse me, if you're able. Secondly, I just wanna uh, reiterate to you and remind you and encourage you in the January fast. Again, I'm fasting from sugar. You fast from whatever you need to, social media, uh, what have you. Fast from your kids, whatever you gotta do. Um, I wanna remind you that the call to fast was Every one of us is continually tempted to find our comfort and joy somewhere else, right? We hear that language co-opted during Christmas a lot. Um, McDonald's 10 years ago sold their mocha and and said my comfort and joy was on their signage. And I just, this is what our culture has (laughs) as their comfort and joy, right? So when we fast, we are taking something that's a good gift of God, you know, caffeine and sugar, praise the Lord. That's all well and good but it does not belong on the throne of my life and we will drag it kicking and screaming out of first place. And that is why we're fasting right now. So I just wanna remind you, I wanna encourage you. It's not too late to jump in. If you've not been fasting from something, pick something. It's a precious and biblical spiritual exercise to say, God, you are sufficient. You are where I will find my comfort. You are where I'm gonna go when things get rough. Last, I wanna ask you how your prayer fridge is doing your prayer fridge, it's the cold box with the food on it, but it has all these little pieces of paper from our ministry fair, and the different ministries of the church are up there. And you're going to pray, and I'm going to pray until the Lord gives us every volunteer and every worker that we need in the church. How is your prayer fridge doing? If there's a ministry that did not make it onto your fridge, I want to encourage you to reach out to ministry leaders and say, Hey, did I get yours? Hey, did I get yours? I know that's hard. I'm supposed to make it easy on you. I'm not. Um, but get them up on your fridge, and we're going to keep them there. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. We're gonna keep these things on our fridge until our ministry leaders have the people that God has ordained. God has these people in his hip pocket somewhere. You know that? And we're going to pray and pray and pray for our hearts and others' hearts until the work is being done for the glory of God and the blessing of others, amen? I love you guys so much. Please spend a week filled with prayer and action For who around you needs to know their creator and what are you supposed to do about it? Amen? Amen.
0: I love you guys. Have a great week.